typically um, try to have two mission Sundays in October where we kind of focus on uh, missions, and oftentimes that, in, that in, involves kind of over that we support. Uh, sometimes the local component, we, have, we support people like the uh, Sierra Law Enforcement Chaplaincy and Young Life. Oftentimes it's, it's like, what are other people doing? And that's even like in our budget, how we kind of determine what falls under um, the missions categories. Usually what are other people doing? Uh, it's arbitrary, though. It's just, it's just a way to, to decide what goes where. Um, and, and so today is, is supposed to be our second Missions Focus Sunday. Uh, and you might not, like, believe it by the end of the sermon, <laughs> by the end of this message. Like, you might not think that that's what's going on. But I think it's important that we recognize that mission is also something we are meant to do. Um, and, and the things that we do and what we, how we live, that affects us as well, that we're supposed to be living on mission with Jesus. We're supposed to be living for his kingdom and, and doing things uh, in pursuit of his glory being made known. And so that's what we're going to kind of focus on today. And, and primarily, maybe the biggest obstacle to that um, affliction. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. If you want to turn your Bibles there, now you can. But I want to start by saying this. Um, I've been, uh, in, I've been in this position, as you guys know, I've been here for a long time. I've actually been here for 25 years at Discovery Hills Church. Um, and I know you're thinking, well, you look so young. Well, I, I was 10 when I started coming here. So um, <laughs> some of you don't know that. Uh, and so, uh, but I've only been in this position as, as lead pastor, senior pastor for about a little over a year. Uh, and in the first year, there was something really interesting that happened to me, which is that um, over a dozen people um, asked me the same question. And, and it was like the biggest, if I had to pick a theme of like, what was the, what's something, a theme that, that was like coming at you or that I was dealing with or that, that we seem to be wrestling with as a church, it was this question, which is, like I said, over that many people, and so if you're one of those people, don't feel singled out because it's pervasive. It's not you, right? And so don't feel bad if I say this and you go, well, I was, I was one of them. Don't feel self-conscious. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to name you anyway. Um, <laughs> it was you. No. <laughs> um, but over and over again, people ask me some version of the question, why won't God heal me? Why won't God heal me? And it's it's even that is is a part of a bigger question or a slightly different question that people have been asking for centuries, which is again some version of if God is all good and all powerful, why does evil exist? Right. The argument goes. The philosophical argument goes that if God is all powerful and evil exists, then He must not be good. Right? If God can do anything, if he's all-powerful, fully in control, and, and evil still exists, then God must not be good, or that evil would not exist, is the philosophical argument. Or on the flip side of that, if God is all-good and evil exists, then God must not be all-powerful. That's the philosophical argument that gets put forward, and that we have to wrestle with. And that's, like, we can't just say, no. Right? We can't. We have to wrestle with that and kind of figure out, talk through that and go, okay, why is that the case? And even for those, for, for those that struggle with the idea, this idea of, like, why won't God heal me? And again, like, that's a specific thing. But 
certainly, almost, I would think that everybody in this room has thought at some point, why won't God fix this? Some situation in your life, some situation you see outside, why would God allow this thing to happen? Why would these things be the case? Why would there be pain in, in the world? Why would there be negative things in the world if, if God is who we say he is? And so we're going to sort through that problem a little bit today. We're mostly going to, we're going to just look at this passage, because that's what we do uh, here. We, we look at scripture, and, um, and this is a little bit different of a Sunday. Normally we go through books of the Bible. We're going to be going through, exi- uh, we're going to start Exodus in, in November, the first Sunday of November. And so today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This is a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Corinth, and it's his second letter to the church at Corinth, or to the Corinthians, that's why it's called 2 Corinthians. So it starts like this, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Acacia, Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now I know that seems like just an introduction, like you just go, okay, skip that, let's get to the real stuff. But there's, there's important things in there, and Paul's intentional in the way that he writes and the way that he introduces himself. And there's two things I want to highlight for you there. First, he says that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, right? He says this, that he is who he is and, and the position that he has by the will of God. He recognizes that he's only in that position by the will of God. And so we think about the will of God, we have to put it in kind of two categories um, that, that are important, and theologians have put the, put the will of God in these categories for centuries. But we can talk about it as the perfect will of God, or God's perfect will, and God's permissive will. So God's perfect will being the things that he wants to happen and that sometimes he causes to happen. But you think about God's will for your life, he has a perfect will, he has got a, he's got a, there's a best way for you to live, God's perfect will. And then there's also God's permissive will, which are the things that he allows to happen things that he allows to happen. So we would put evil, pain, suffering in that category. Things that he allows to happen. Whether he wants them to happen or not, that he allows them to happen. <coughs> and the second thing I want to point out to you in this introduction is that this is something that Paul starts every, every letter that he has, that he writes, and really most of the letters even that aren't authored, authored by Paul, start with some version of verse 2 where it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it seems like something that you would just pass over. Especially it's at the beginning of every letter, Paul's like introducing himself some way, says who he's writing to, and then he says grace and peace to you. He tells them, he tells them grace and peace. And just like nice, right? It's like when you ask somebody how you're doing. You don't really want to know, you're just being friendly. <laughs> right? It, You think of it that way, but it's not. It's intentional. He's intentionally giving them those two words, and he does it in every letter. You can look it up. Check it out. Every letter of his starts with grace and peace, some version of that, of grace and peace to you. And he's saying it intentionally because he is having to write to these churches, and he's having to address some difficult issues. He's going to have to give them some instruction, some correction, He's going to give them some things that they're going to need to wrestle with. And so he wants to start by reminding them grace and peace. Grace 
being God's free gift, that's how we you know that's as, as those, those who have accepted Jesus, you know that's how you're saved. It's a free gift of God, that, that grace, that amazing grace that you get when he, that he died for you, that he saved you. But we're also sanctified by grace, right? Not just saved, which is that, that initial act of like, okay, now you are deemed righteous, but sanctification, which is that process by which you become righteous. That's the process of you becoming more like Jesus. And that also happens by grace. No matter how hard you're trying at it, ultimately all of your, all of your advances are done by grace, by God's intervention in your life, is working in your life. So that happens by grace. It's, it's a free gift. It's not something that you earn. And so he's reminding, hey, all of us, grace Grace for one another, grace for ourselves. It's important that we have that. And then the second thing being peace, which is the natural state of someone who is resting in the completed work of Christ. Right? If we recognize that we have his righteousness and not our own, that we are saved by grace, that we have this gift, that he's done everything, we don't have to do anything, then now we can be at peace. Because even Paul's correction to them, and even anyone's correction to you, isn't a judgment on your soul, right? That you've been deemed righteous. You've been forgiven by the ultimate judge of the universe. And so any, any judgment or any correction that happens on earth or even Paul telling them, hey, you're going off track, please get back on track, is not this condemnation on them. They're not condemned anymore. And so they should have peace in that and go, Oh, yes, I, I know, I need to get back on track. And so here's what, let me make that correction. Let me, by the grace of God, make these corrections. And so the same should be true for us. We don't need to be striving all the time and, and, um, and you know, white-knuckling it to try, to try to earn God's favor. Or we should live in a state of grace and peace because Jesus is who he, who he is and did what he did. Okay, let's move on to the, to the, to the meat of this now. God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 7. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same things that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So I want to start start with this section by pointing out this, that, that pain is necessary. Right? Pain is necessary to show the reality of what is happening. Right? Pain tells you that if you, you touch the stove and it's hot, that pain is what stops your hand from melting. Right? The pain is what causes you to go, oh, that's hot. Right? If you didn't have that, that would be a problem. If you didn't have pain, it would be a problem if you, when you tried to do something like that. That's actually the biggest, one of the biggest problems with leprosy. Right? Leprosy, Jesus is healing lepers all the time. There's lepers all in, in, the, in Scripture. One of the problems with leprosy is it killed nerve endings. And so lepers wouldn't know 
when something was hurting them and it would cause infection and it would cause them to, to burn themselves, to cut themselves. That's often why they were missing body parts was not because it caused it to drop off, but because they would do something and it would, they would lose body parts because they didn't have that pain reaction. So it's necessary, if, if the world is actually broken, it's necessary and right that we feel something when something's wrong. And so we have that reaction to a broken world, a world that's rebelled against its creator. <coughs> Physically and mentally, our bodies and minds are not created as God intended them to be. The fall introduced death and its predecessors. And that's important that we recognize that that the fall introduced death, right? God says, well, okay, now you're going to die. It'll take a long time, right? You're going go to go back to, back to dust. You're going to, from dust to dust, ashes to ashes, right? But in introducing death, he's also introducing pain and all of the predecessors to death. You, you're going to die, but there's got to be some way you're going to die, and it's usually painful, and emotionally, we have pain. We see as sin enters the world, there are broken relationships, broken people. Suffering is the result of sin. And so then we also witness that and we hurt as well. Our hearts hurt. Our hearts break when we see suffering in the world. That's pain as well. All of this is a reaction to what has naturally come out of the fall, out of mankind rebelling against God, their perfect creator. And God allows that to happen. So it's essential that we recognize that the pain and suffering we experience is a natural consequence of mankind rebelling against our perfect creator. Secondly, I would say this, that, that suffering, I would say suffering is suffering, which is to say that Paul certainly endured a specific kind of suffering, right? He suffered for the gospel. He was going around planting churches and he suffered for it big time. He was beaten with rods, he was thrown over, thrown overboard at sea. He was uh, they they beat him nearly to death multiple occasions, imprisoned, right, hungry. Like he he endured all of these things, and even even just traveling on foot all that time, like that's just difficult on on someone's body. And so he suffered specifically for the gospel. But notice that he doesn't just limit his discussion on suffering to only that kind of purposeful suffering right? he doesn't just limit it to that he says in verse four so that right he's saying that we're, we're comforted so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction right he's not just saying affliction as a result of of preaching the gospel right he's saying any affliction and the reality is if we choose to live on mission with jesus if we choose to live for him to follow him to, to seek his guidance, if we choose to, to live for his kingdom and try to, to live on mission with him, then everything that we do, any affliction that we experience, any suffering we experience, any pain we experience, affects that mission, right? Any of it does, right? So, for example, if you serve at Wednesday Club, um, does, it, does it impact your service if you get a migraine at one o'clock? Like, yeah, big time. And, and if that, like, and, and that specifically, like, it might be a coincidence, but it might not be a coincidence. And I think it's most likely not a coincidence, right? 
Those kind of things impact your service. But then even more generally, if you're trying to love and serve your family, any physical infirmity, any illness impacts your ability to do that just in your own home or just amongst your family members, even extended family members, whoever you would come in contact with, whoever you live with, any kind of illness or physical infirmity is going to impact your ability to love them the way that Jesus loves you. It's going to impact your ability to serve them. Right? If things like anxiety and depression keep you from living in the house, does that, doesn't that limit who you can reach for Christ? Now, doesn't that hinder your ability to live for Him? All of these things impact our mission if we're living for Him. Any, any kind of suffering, even just things breaking down, difficult things. That's, um, even, even just a, a baby who stays up and cries all night, I'll tell you that. Right? And, and uh, Tuesday night was really bad. Uh, Tuesday night was really bad, like almost no sleep. And then Wednesday afternoon is Wednesday club, right? It starts at 2 o'clock. So all of, two, all of Wednesday club, I was just like a zombie, like just walking around, like because I just felt drained. It's like it, it impacted me, right? That's just, and that's minor suffering. That's expected suffering. But it still impacts us. But what Paul lays out in this passage is that godly comfort is the antidote to suffering. What he says is, like, we suffer, God comforts us in our affliction. And then not only just for that, but so that we can then go and comfort other people. There's this, there's this suffering and comfort thing that work together somehow. That God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction, um, and that pain allows that process to happen. Which and again, pain being a natural reaction to a natural observance of the brokenness of our world and God entering into that to alleviate that pain and suffering in some way. And so suffering and pain is an indication of our need for God. And that's a good thing because we need Him regardless of whether we recognize it or not. Jesus teaches about this in uh, the Sermon on the Mount when He very starts off the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with this very strange series of statements we call the Beatitudes. And the very first couple we see in verses 3 through 6, where he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Right. Notice that each of those conditions that Jesus says, blessed are this person, each one is a different way that someone can feel inadequate. Each one of those ways is, is a way that somebody feels not complete. They feel like they're not there. They don't feel like it's, everything's okay. They feel like it's not going well. Right? They feel inadequate. They feel like they need something. And, and Jesus says, that's where I want you. That's where you're blessed because in that, in your recognition of your inadequacy, I can come in. I can comfort. I can feel. I can feel that need. I can bless you in that. He also says this even kind of further in, in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. He says this, For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
I counsel for you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves in the shame of your nakedness and may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Right, he, he says right off the bat, like he, he's talking this to people who think that they're, they're good. They think that they don't need anything. But they say, he says, you say I, I am rich and I have need of nothing. And he says, you don't recognize that you're not, right? You, you, you acting like everything's fine. It's not fine, right? And maybe that's because we've numbed ourselves. That's, not, that's one of the ways we do this, kind of numb ourselves and kind of decide to be self-sufficient, decide we can do this on our own. And we push down those inadequacies and play up a, a front that makes it look like we're okay. But he says, take down that mask, take down that facade, and, and allow me to fill those needs. Get that from me instead. So suffering is an opportunity to turn to God and he will bring you comfort. He says, suffering is an opportunity, that affliction, that pain is an opportunity for God to touch your life in that place. And it's good, even though it, it's hard. It's hard to feel that. It's hard to go through that. It's an opportunity for God to step in and say, I can reach you in this place. I can be here for you. You can see your need for me actively. That's a good thing. Paul continues, and we'll look at this last section, despair. He's going to talk specifically about his experience now, because he was kind of generally talking about, okay, you're the God of all comfort. You comfort us in our affliction. He's going to talk specifically about an incident that he suffered so this is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. But you must help us by prayer that we may give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Okay, so he's talking about some incident in Asia. Where he says, like, we suffered this affliction in Asia. He kind of points it out. It's unlikely, based on the language that he uses, that he's talking about a specific incident of persecution it seems more like he's talking about a health issue, actually, here, or, or some kind of suffering in that realm. Some people, uh, some commentators suggest he's talking about an incident in Acts chapter 19, but the timeline doesn't really match up very well, and so it's, it seems unlikely that that's what he's talking about. Um, it's more likely he's talking about this physical ailment. We know from the historical record that he suffered uh, physical problems, and he even traveled with Luke, uh, Luke traveled with him and, and was his personal physician. And so he had all of these medical problems that he dealt with. He didn't know that he couldn't see very well. There's one part in one of his letters where he says, like, look at what big letters I'm writing my, with my own hand to you. Like, most of the time he's dictating these letters. Uh, and so we know that he had these ailments. And he says specifically that he felt he had received the sentence of death. Not that he was imprisoned and actually was sentenced with death. He's like, we felt like we did. Like, we felt like we were going to die, is essentially what he's saying. 
He's saying that he, that he had suffered that much, that he was that ill probably. And it could have been both, right? It could have been physical suffering and persecution, and they would certainly make one another worse. But this suffering was so intense that he says he despaired of life itself. And I think some of us can have been there, have felt that, have felt that despair, have felt like you wanted to die at some point, right? Not that you, and some, some people have dealt with suicide and, and those kind of struggles as well, but even just the idea of like, I'm suffering so much, I just want it to end. And that's where Paul's at. He's, he was there too. But he says that he, in the end, he, see, he saw a purpose in the suffering, he saw a reason for it, and he says specifically there that it was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, God brought, he's essentially saying, God brought me almost to death to where I felt like I was going to die, almost even wanted to die, but I didn't, and he delivered me, and it made me rely on the God who raises the dead because he almost effectively raised Paul from the dead there. Even though he didn't die, he felt like that. <clears throat> and so that's something that, that we can take away from that as well. Of say, okay, Paul went through this experience and he saw in the end that it was to, uh, there was a purpose in it that was to make him rely on God who raises the dead and, and start to, figure, to process our own suffering and pain through that same lens and say, okay, where I've dealt with these things, what has God taught me in that? What has relying on him taught me through that process? And maybe you're going through it right now and it's not something you can see clearly, but seeing... Uh, desiring to find that in the end is a positive thing and to, to look for that purpose at some point in the future. He also says, he also says this a, little, a couple sentences about he will deliver us again, right? He says, he delivered us, he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Which is like, a, that's kind of a wild thought, Right, if you really think about what he, Paul is saying there. Right, he's saying like he delivered us and it gives us confidence and hope that God will deliver us again. Right, he's, he's recognizing if you believe that, if Paul is believing that God will deliver him again, what does that necessarily mean? That he will suffer again. Right, he's saying like God's going to deliver me again Meaning, he's going to let me go through this again. He's going to let me go through other suffering again. And his hope is not that God will not let him suffer anymore, but that God will deliver him every time. And so he, he's got these kind of important caveats, right? That, he's, that God's going to deliver him, but not on, clearly not on Paul's timetable. Right? Paul got to the point where he despaired of life itself. He probably didn't want to be there ever. He would like to be delivered much earlier. But he, God's going to deliver him on his timetable, not on, not on our own. And we can have that confidence as well that God will deliver us, but not on our timetable, but on his. It's not on, on when we would like it to happen, but when he would like it to happen. Also, that, that he, again, that we said that he'll be delivered from peril after peril after peril. He's going to be learning daily reliance on God. Not just, not just oh, thanks God for saving me. I will remember that, and I'm just going to move forward. Let's just make it smooth sailing from here on out. I remember, so let me just have that, and then just, let's just have it easy from here on out. That's not how it works. 
And then lastly, that eventually God won't deliver him and he will die. But if he has that confidence that God will raise him from the dead, he's confident that death is not the end. Right? Paul's hope for deliverance was not that God would deliver him every time, but that God would deliver him for as long as he had work for Paul to do. For as long as he had things for Paul to do. And Paul recognized that being with Jesus is better than anything he could hope for on this earth. Right? He recognized that, 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 that ultimately, in the end, to die and go and be with Jesus is the ultimate deliverance. And that in the end, God will raise him again from the dead and that he will live forever in the new heavens and the new earth. He has that hope. We can have that hope. <clears throat> so as we struggle with that question, that, that question of like, why won't God heal me? Why isn't this happening? I think we can take some instruction from Paul and see that he says that you know, God's teaching him something through it. And God can teach us something through our own suffering. Even when we don't understand why is it not ending yet, we can have confidence that God will ultimately deliver us. And that if we have that hope that Jesus died for our sins, that, we give, that he rose again on our behalf, that he has saved us and appointed us to eternal life with him forever, that we can be confident that death is not the end. And death is not the worst thing that can happen to a Christian. That to go and be with Jesus is the ultimate deliverance. And so in, in some point there will be an end to our suffering. And we will suffer anymore but not as long as we live here on this earth where there's brokenness, where man has rebelled against God and we continue to live with the consequences of that, of both our own rebellion and our collective rebellion. And we have to live with that reality. The last thing he says there is we must pray for one another. Right? He essentially says we must pray for one another. He asks him to pray for. He says you must help us by prayer so that we, many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Right? He wants them to pray for him so that everybody can rejoice, right? He so, says, so that more people can rejoice. You're going to help us, but we're going to pray for one another and that we can rejoice in, in the way that God delivers us. We can share in the sufferings of others. We can bear one another's burdens for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus. And we can celebrate when he delivers someone when he saves us, when he rescues us, when he alleviates our pain. We can celebrate in those things <clears throat> and recognize that he's got purpose in it. We'll wrap up with this. How should we then live? The three possibilities for you today. Number one, recognize the spiritual element in every type of suffering. But that's an important thing. That we recognize that there's not, too often we like to compartmentalize our lives. Or, oh, this is my work life, this is my home life, this is my church life. This is my hobby, right? We got all these different areas and we're like, let's try to keep them separate. Let's not, Jesus, like just stay in your box. Let's not try to influence the rest of my, my boxes. No, he says like it's all connected. Or Jesus is meant to be in and through it all. And so any suffering we have has a spiritual component. And the more we live on mission with him, the more readily we'll be able to see that. The more we think about and 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 live for the kingdom actively, think about our daily lives being for the kingdom, the more every type of suffering we have is connected to our mission. And we can see how it's connected to God and how he might have purpose in it. So connect that and, and recognize that God is in every kind of suffering you have. 
Even the most mundane little things. Number two, we can consider the purpose God might have for your suffering. Right? It, 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 it helps to even look back and go, well, here are things that I, was, I went through. What did God teach me in those things? How can I you know, document that? Even write it out in a journal or something. But have that in a reality because it then helps. If you can look back and see how God has worked in your life and how God has worked through suffering in, in the past, it can help you in the future to go, I know that God has worked in this in the past and I know He can work in it now. So even if you've never done that before, like it, go, I would suggest you go back through your life and think about those things. Think about how God has worked in those difficult circumstances. And then in the current circumstances that you're in, if you're currently in something, what might God be teaching you? And ask Him to tell you what He might be teaching you in it. What you might learn from Him. And then lastly, pray for one another. And last week we talked about praying for our missionaries, but also for one another. We are also missionaries. We are also living on mission for Him in our communities. And so we should be praying for one another. Um, you can always fill out prayer request cards and put them in the, uh, there's boxes in the back and, and by the, each of the doors. Um, you can always put them in the offering. Probably you can email us and we can send out, we have a prayer list that we send out uh, of people, when people have prayer requests, we like to send those out. We want to be praying for you. If it's something, you got something, you can fill out a card, let us know what we can be praying for. We love to, to pray for one another. And if you haven't or aren't, aren't on that list, give us your email address and say, I want to be on the prayer. There's cards in the back uh, seats that you can do that and put those in the boxes as well. And, and we can get, you can get on that list and be praying for one another. Be praying for your brothers and sisters here. <coughs> and then lastly, we do have a prayer team that likes to pray up here. They're usually right over here. They would love to pray for you if you've got anything this morning that you would like prayer for. Um, that you would like to have people intercede on your behalf. They'd love to do that with you. They'll be available right after um, this closing song. So let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word uh, and, and the experience that Paul has and the way that we can learn from it, that we can learn to rely on you. We can learn to see you as the God of all comfort, as the one who... Um, loved us so much that he came and suffered for us. That he lived through the, the uh, day-to-day sufferings of a, an average human being, but that he also suffered brutally on the cross for us and ultimately died that we might have life. And he rose again on our behalf. And we can have that hope that you are the God who raises the dead and that death is not the end, that we will go and be with you forever if we have put our hope in you, if we have turned our lives over to you. Anybody here that has not done that this morning, God, I pray that they would right now, that they would respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting in their heart, that they would say, I want to come and follow Jesus. They would come up and pray with our uh, prayer team that we can live for you, God.